0: I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and I'll be reading the first 12 verses, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And He preached the word to them. So men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the man that was lying on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. Jesus was God there in creation. He was well aware that creation, namely Adam and Eve in the beginning, had a choice to make. They had to choose to believe and trust their maker when he told them to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they already knew, he knew that Satan had already fallen. Satan, or Lucifer as he was called, as an angel, had already willingly sinned when he coveted what was not his but God's alone. Jesus knew of the entrance of sin and the potential of creation's failure and fall. In fact, He was already pledged to die for that. And yet in that, He redeemed us all from every sin we would ever commit. You know, it's an amazing thing when you realize how much God loved us, knowing that we would make the wrong choices, and we all do. He still loved us and He gave us a way of escape. When we think about the determination that we can have and the commitment that we can have towards Christ, let us also be aware of the commitment that He has to us and the reality that we are called to have so great a faith in Him. The reality is that in life many times, we find ourselves in situations that are frustrating we can find ourselves going away from Him in a way that that we would have never dreamt of going. We can lose our sense of perseverance, and we can simply collapse. Yet God loves us so that He's given us a way to move away from that. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and He knew that sin would taint everything about us. He desired to save His creation to the uttermost. Not just from the penalty of sin, but ultimately from the power and the presence of sin. You see, every single failure of creation was brought about by sin. Whether it was the failure of a bridge to stand and not collapse, or the inability of a tree to survive in a desolate region. Whether it was someone who made the wrong choice and selfishly went their own way away from God. Or the sin that was conjured up in our DNA over generations of sinning. All these things are the product of sin. And God, through Jesus Christ, came to redeem us fully and totally. Not just mankind. Remember, Jesus didn't die just for us. He died to restore what sin had broken. And there's so much more broken than just us. Creation is broken. Relationships are broken. Lifestyles are broken. The future is broken. The world is falling apart without Jesus Christ, and because of Him, we have hope. Jesus' priority went beyond the physical needs of men. It went to the fallen souls of everyone. I'm intrigued by what people consider important today, the priorities that they hold significant. Some people live to make the right career choice or to get into the right school. Some people want to be able to buy a home in the right neighborhood. They want to get to a certain tax bracket or they want to have two houses instead of one or possibly to have that boat that everybody dreamt of having, at least until they had it and then they wish they'd never seen it. The reality is we all have priorities in life, but the, uh, the realization is these priorities sometimes can leave us. Sometimes in the midst of going after what we think is so important, we understand how insignificant it really is. Some people put God on a lower priority than their dreams. And in life they figure out that they're traveling the wrong way. God allows, as the pundit said, U-turns. He allows us to change in midlife to make a decision to go closer to Him. He loves us that way. and Because of that, we've got to be willing to listen to Him. Sometimes our dreams aren't His dreams and desires for us. The story we're looking at in Mark 2 today gives us an interesting look into the priorities of Jesus as He's reaching out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But I want you to understand this. He fully understood the needs of all of mankind. And he knew that sin had brought so much more in the world than just separation from God. Sin has brought every horrible situation that we could ever incur to us. There's a reason why Moses was given these words in the Ten Commandments. That the sins of the parents are passed to the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The word hate there doesn't mean despising God. It means that they're living in sin. And sin brought about the diseases in our DNA that are handed down from one generation to the other. I carry several of those from my predecessors and my genealogy. You do too. God will one day free us from all of those. And I'm so thankful for that. But I want to think this morning for a few minutes about what Jesus is saying here. And how we can understand this. He was not using a colloquialism. He was not speaking in some ancient metaphoric term. He was not using some mystery religion to describe this. The problem was that the Pharisees were more concerned that this man, who was God, was using a term that only God could use to forgive sins not just to heal. The first thing I want you to notice is this, that Jesus' priority was to forgive sins, not to be politically correct. In our world today, there are certain phrases and words you better be careful about using, and you better be pretty simple about that. But sometimes the plainest words don't always work. There was a a young man that walked into a doctor's office one day and immediately the lady looked up at the reception desk and, and, and she looked at him and she, and, and, and she said, what are you in the doctor's office for? And he said, shingles. And she said, walk over there. And so he walked over there and the lady immediately did a triage. She listened to his heart and she took his blood pressure and, and she weighed him on the scale and they stuck him in a room and they gave him a gown and he's standing there holding the gown and she said, well, put it on, we're in a hurry. He does, and standing there, and she said, "What are you here for?" He said, "Shingles." Well, about that time, the doctor walks in. He's got his button, his, his his little gown fastened on the side by the buttons, and he looks and he said, "Well, what are you here for right now?" He said, "Shingles," and he said, "Well, tell me about it." And he said, "They're on the truck, and I need to unload them to put on your roof." He just was misunderstood. Sometimes we're misunderstood. Sometimes in the midst of living our life, we just don't communicate with God. I've got some good news for you. God understands what you're going to say before you say it. You know what God hears most plainly? Tears, sadness, doubt, frustrations, anxiety. He hears all of that. He he knows that. Jesus was in Capernaum. Mark calls it coming home. I like that. That's a a good term. Notice the people were gathering there to hear him preach, and, and there are five guys that show up. One man that's paralyzed with four of the best friends you could ever find. And they didn't get discouraged. This story is usually used to talk about people that are not quitters and how determination should work. But I want to think more about the determination of the master than those who did what they did. You know the story. Flat roofed houses, they'd put boards up there, they'd cover it with a type of mud that would dry quickly, and then they could walk on the surface of that, and many times they'd lounge on their roofs at night. I wouldn't recommend that. Selma, people look at you funny when you do that here. But the reality is, they knew another way to get to Jesus. And all they had to do was get this man to Jesus. As they lowered him down, it had to be quite a sight to see. And Jesus knew already the man was coming. But when he looked at him, Jesus wasn't just looking at a man who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. He was looking at a man who had suffered the generations of sin in his family. The poor choices, the bad diets, uh, the inability to find healing. An ability to have medicine as we do today. To trace out those problems and and to isolate them and eliminate them. He saw all of those things. That man suffered not just from the inability to walk. Yes, that was his primary concern. But he suffered because of generations before him had sinned. We're a fallen race of, of people. You do know that. We humans are very flawed As one preacher put it, and I I liked it this way, he said, you know, we all all of us came from a lying farmer and a drunken sailor. The farmer was Adam, the sailor was Noah. We all came from them. We all came from these sinful people that generation after generation continued to sin. And God looks at those layers of sin and He sees how we deteriorate. And it decimates the human race and the human condition. Jesus looked and spoke truth. He said, your sins are forgiven. What he meant was not just are you healed, but you've come into a relationship with your Creator. You're going to be healed ultimately. I remind you, not everyone that was healed by Jesus remained healed. They all died. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he eventually died at some point. The reality is we've got to understand the importance of of being in that relationship with Him because that relationship that continues through this life into life eternal will give us the healing that we truly need. I suppose that we could see how Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to confront some of His enemies, some of the ones that had opposed Him there. He knew they were there. He knew what they were going to say. He understood their hatred and bitterness. They had seen plenty of supposed messiahs. Many people had come to heal. All had failed. Remember the story of Peter, James, and John when they came to preach? And they were taken and they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And Gamaliel, one of the wisest men that ever lived, they brought them before him and... and They said, what should we do? And I love the answer that Gamaliel gives. He said, if they be of God, we can't resist them, but if they're not of God, they'll fail. And that's so true. But the people who are watching Jesus wanted him to fail. The more he spoke about the problems with the religious leaders of that day, the more they despised him they thought surely he's going to come and say thank you for doing such a good job. You're the reason that Israel is still intact. But the reality is it wasn't. They had squandered what they had on themselves. The religious leaders looked like wealthy Roman senators. Not like the poor Jewish people there. They had distanced themselves by laws And then made the people seem inferior. The second thing I want you to think about is this. Jesus' concern is not for our perceived needs, but for a restoration of our relationship. Jesus could give us simply what we need right away. And as we pray, we say, give us this day our daily bread. But our daily bread is not enough. We need something beyond that. If, If He met every need that you had in this life, and then didn't save you, then what good is it? You'd live a better life than most people, but then you would die and go to hell. You see, Jesus died to restore us to our original relationship with Him. I don't mean the relationship you've had earlier in life. I mean the relationship you had in Adam and Eve before they sinned. Remember, God's intention was that if Adam and Eve had a... and and this is in the Hebrew literally, it means to stand the test... If, if they had have been tempted by the evil one that appeared as a serpent, had they have been tempted and said no, then they would have stood the test and they would have kept us in the garden. We would have been perfect, but they didn't. Right away they sinned, sort of like we do. Did you make that fatal mistake of, of making some kind of promise? God, in, in, in 2022, I'm going to live a better life. I'm, I'm going to work on these problems. And, and, and you made that, that New Year's Day promise. And then probably before New Year's Day night, you fell down on it. You see, that's why grace is so important. Because if our salvation was dependent upon us, we'd be in trouble. Now that doesn't absolve us from trying to live a better life. Yes, we're supposed to in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to grow stronger day by day. We're supposed to root out those sins that are in our life. And and we're supposed to depend upon Him to give us that strength to overcome those things. But the reality is without Him we're nothing. His salvation for us is, is about a relationship that will go on forever. If we did not believe... In a home in heaven eternally. What truly do we have to live for? Would we not be losing everything at death? No, death is a doorway. It's so much more than we could ever imagine. It opens us up to the possibility of eternity with God. And we're to prepare for that. There are things we're to be doing here on earth now, right now, to do that. As you share your faith and you tell others about Jesus, you're doing that. As you separate yourself from sin as an example to those who watch you, you're doing that. Because we're supposed to be that example to the world. Our kids are surrounded by a message today I hear all the time, and it's called, Living Safe Safety. I sometimes struggle with that, do you? I mean, I grew up in the generation where our parents could go on Sears Roebuck catalog and they could buy bow and arrows and the arrows had real steel points. Uh, I used to play, you know what lawn darts were? I mean, we played horseshoes for goodness sake. Those things weighed about four pounds. You could kill somebody with one of them. I had a real BB gun and we found out you could cut off the the head of a nail and put it in there and, and shoot things with it. It was a dangerous world. And safety is something that some people are concerned with, but let me tell you something, better than safety is being saved. You can prod and poke people to the point that they're terrified of life. When we're saved and our hope and our trust is in Him, we're willing to venture out. We're willing to share our faith. We're willing to go beyond the norm and let people know who Jesus really is. So what should this church's priority be? What should we as a body be doing in 2022 to reach people? Should we not let them know about that relationship we have? Should we not let them know that there, there's a security that you gain in that relationship with Christ that's far better than anything else? People a little slightly older than me, by about two years, get something called a social security check. I can remember very well when my aunt looked at her first check in about 1966 and it was $318 and she said, I don't feel very secure. They give a cost of uh, living uh, uh, raise periodically. It never keeps up with the cost of living, have you noticed that? I think that the reality is social security does not come from the government. It comes from God. God. But lastly, I want you to think about this. Jesus knows the hearts of all of His creation. He already knows what you need. When you pray, you don't have to give Him a lot of details. You can share with Him your frustrations and anxieties because He wants to hear that. But the reality is He loves you enough that He has already planned for you the most beautiful, wonderful life far beyond anything that you could imagine. I have not seen... Nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man. What God has reserved for those who love Him. We can't imagine what He has. You know, in, in verses six through eight, it says, "Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, "Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. They were looking for faults. They were looking for something to criticize. I remember so well when I entered into my doctoral studies, one of our professors who was a a right remarkable Christian cynic at the time, made this statement. He said, don't let your education, your eloquence, and your understanding of the English vernacular put you in a position to ridicule everyone else. He said, everyone you encounter is a sinner that's headed for hell without Jesus. And we know that. Learn to love the creation because you're a part of it. And I've often thought about that in life. How do we relate to people? How do we understand what they're going through in life? How how do we comprehend what their struggles are and identify with them? Jesus knows the heart of all of His creation. And He knows that we're fallen and that we're hurting. He understands the brokenness and the rejection and the sadness. Years ago in rural America, a little boy was assigned to watch the sheep one Sunday morning on his farm. And he heard the bell down in the valley of the church as it was calling people into worship. And he began to worry, I'm not going to be in church today. I've got a day to spend up here with the sheep. And and how will God know what I need? And he thought to himself, I don't even know how to pray. And suddenly he leaned back and he put his hands out and he looked up to the heavens and he started this way... A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and he went through the alphabet like that. His father walked up to to, to see if he was okay and bring him some lunch, and he said, son, what are you doing? He said, dad, I don't know how to pray. I don't know the words to pray. So I thought that I would just give the letters to God, and he could put them together and know what I need. What a wise little boy. How smart is that? We need to learn to put things together and let God lead. We need to understand that in in the midst of our desiring to do great things and wonderful things, we get so discouraged and we give up on our perseverance, yet He never gives up on us. May we find a faithfulness like these friends. And may we understand the commitment like Jesus our Savior had for us. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You love us with such an unsearchable love. You never give up on us. You're always there, just when we need You. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to You right now as we consider our own lives. Lord, we live in a world that's broken with all of our modern technology and with all of our abilities. Lord, we can speak on this side of the earth, and someone can be watching us on the other side of the earth as we're speaking here. Yet it's not safe to walk across the street at night. And we are terrified that our lives will be taken away from us. Modern technology has not made life any more safe. We still have the threats and the fears around us. But I know we have a God that loves us and will protect us. And we can depend upon Him. With all of our vaunted abilities, the true reality is, if the power goes out, most of what we have in technology is shut down. Yet our power from you never shuts down. It is not interfered with by the weather or by life. You are there always. We know that he that watcheth over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. When we can't go to sleep at night, you're awake with us, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful to you, Lord, and and come to you often, and trust in you. May we realize that our perseverance is not dependent upon us, but upon you. And I pray that even today we could grow and mature in our faith. Let us come closer to you as You come close to us. And I pray this in Your holy name, Lord. Amen.